0: hey friends welcome to the collide midweek podcast these episodes are recorded every wednesday night at our midweek gathering for those of you who may have missed it or just want to hear it again we hope that the following episode encourages you to know grow and go in your faith all right how are you guys doing tonight Woo. That was good. I'm pumped to be here. I went to the Winter Retreat with those of you uh, who got to go. I'm so excited that we got to go and spend time worshiping our Lord and Savior with 1,300 other kids from around the country. Um, It was so, so cool, and the Lord moved in incredible ways. Two people got saved, three people felt called to full-time ministry, and so many others drew closer to the Lord and to one another. Um, If you guys didn't go, you need to sign up for Fuge. Sign up for camp. Summer camp is so much fun. It's literally a blast. I went a couple years ago. Go Growing up, summer camp is so much fun. You get to know one another. You sweat a lot. You play some weird games on this big field in the mountains. And people think it's fun. So you guys should sign up when it comes available in a couple of weeks, as well as our missions trips and the weekend, which is coming up soon. Um, you guys need to go. On a different note, I've had some dodgy advice in my life. People have given me some weird advice in my life. I went to App State for a couple of years, and everyone grows their hair out when they go to App State, so I did too. There should be a picture somewhere on the screens of me uh, playing soccer with my hair really long. Yeah, I know. And I I know, I know. I thought, and I still think that it looked good. And you guys can decide for yourself. My wife does not think it looks good. She swears to this day that we would not have been married if she met me when my hair was long. Um, So people people told me to grow my hair out. I was like, okay. So I did it, and she thankfully met me afterwards. Another piece of advice I've received that is dodgy, my, my buddy Ben, he's like 6'2", he's like six, six, and his advice for me growing growing up was to, uh, he was like, just grow man, just need to grow dude. And if you guys don't know, I'm 5'5", five, five. so I was like, what am I supposed to do with that? You can't grow. So he would always dog me, like, bro, you have to just grow man. Um, and he's not very funny, so it like didn't come across very well, the way he was trying to, kind of like this joke right now. Um, But anyway, he told me to grow, and I can't do that and control that. Different pieces of advice that we hear that are a little more common to us are, one, you guys may think is good advice. It's follow your heart. How many of you think that, or I've heard that before. I've heard that all the time. Follow your heart in relationships where you want to go for school, uh, the friends you should be around. But when we look to the Word of God, Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful and sick. Proverbs talks about how the heart is wicked. The Gospels talk about it. 2 Corinthians, Galatians, 2 Timothy, James. Throughout the Bible, we see that the heart is fickle, wicked, and sick, and seeks our own desires. And to truly grow and go on the path that the Lord has for us, we need to seek God and not follow our hearts. Because our hearts tempt us to do things that are centered around us. So that piece of advice, I would say, is bad. Another one, talking about sex and marriage, people say that you should test drive before you buy. If you've heard that one before. Some of you have done these acts before, and I mean, it's it's bad advice, but I also want to say that if you have done this before, there was redemption in the person of Jesus. There's not something that you're condemned for for the rest of your life. A lot of, a lot of people make it sound you're not, but there are emotional and relational implications of that. So test driving before you buy isn't great advice. If you are called to marriage, if you do feel like you want to get married someday, and the Lord is leading you to that, you don't need a test drive. The car that he has for you it's going to be a good one trust me um another piece of advice talked about it earlier today with some people is to just cut them off because they're toxic hear that one a lot i think it's bad advice because when we look at the person of jesus would he have cut people off because they were toxic i don't think so jesus stood up for his faith yes with the pharisees and the sadducees but he was around people who were broken Sinning and draining him of his emotional energy, of his daily flow. He didn't cut them off. He sought them out. And he spent time with them. Now, we need to be careful at the same time to not be around people too much who are intentionally causing us pain. We need to have respect for ourselves. But we need to seek them out with the love of Christ because they're hurting too. Another point is that God won't give you more than you can handle. I believe he does give you more than you can handle I don't think Job can handle what's going on in his life right now. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, Job's family is all dead except for his wife. His house is burned down. He was the richest man in all of the East. All of that is gone. He is broke. He is laying on the floor covered in boils. He's pain in pain from head to toe. And he is suffering. It's more than he can handle. He wants to die. We see in chapter 3 that Job longs for death. He longs for the day of his birth to be cursed, the stars to be broken on the day that he was born. We need to give these things to God. We cannot handle everything he gives to us. Today we're talking about community and counsel. Um, All these pieces of advice, a lot of the reasons why we hear them is because they're predicated by the community that we're around. When we're around people who believe in these things, we hear them as our counsel and our advice, and we tend to believe that they're true because people that we look up to and respect say them to us. So our community and our counsel, our community predicates, which means is like founded upon, the counsel that we receive. So we need to be very wise when choosing our counsel. We'll see this throughout throughout Job. We're going to go through um, chapter 2, verse 9, and then chapter 3 through chapter 31 of Job. I don't know, it's really impressive of me to go through all of that content, and we're going to be really wowed by what I come up with, but uh, we're going to dive into it. If you have a copy of Scripture, I hope you have a paper Bible. They're more holy than the phone. Again, I said this to somebody earlier, but there's a reason why there's an apple with a bite out of it on the back of your phone. Um, so bring your paper Bible. If not, just pull out your phone and pull up the Bible app. Go to verse, um, chapter 2 of Job, verse 9. First thing that we hear is that Job's wife says to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? First point tonight is that bad counsel differs from what God says is good. In, in uh, verse 3, only six verses before, God honors Job in front of Satan, saying that Job has maintained his integrity even though Job has had everything taken. Now, here is Job's wife saying, are you still maintaining your integrity? She's questioning something that God has honored. God walked with Job through his suffering. He knows that Job is being consistent, that Job is being sincere with what he's going through. He's maintaining his integrity. On the flip side, Job's wife is not walking with the Lord. So she questions his integrity. She questions things that God says is good because of their situation in life. She questions because of what's happening to them a natural thing to do something bad happens to you you question why it happened it makes sense but it's kind of highlighted here because job's integrity is solid and then job's wife is questioning that after god has directly said your integrity is good he is good because he has integrity what an incredible thing that job has integrity to the devil and his wife questions it so bad counsel differs from what god says is good next point i gotta go through this pretty quick there's a lot of chapters i gotta go through Um, is to be wise if you choose to marry. And I chose those words carefully, choose to marry, because not all of you in here will get married. You may be led to something else. You can be much more impactful for the gospel if you are not married. Paul says that consistently throughout his epistles, his letters to the churches around the, um, the world at the time, that you can be much more impactful for the gospel if you are not married. You have much more time. When I got married to Carly, I have to hang out with Carly. It's an incredible thing that I get to spend with her, spend time with her. I know, I made that sound bad. She's cool. I like hanging out with Carly. Um, but I have less time to spend time at the church or ministering to people. So getting married, it limits your time, but it's still a blessing if you choose to marry. But the person you marry will impact you. It will impact you a lot more than you think. I was growing up, um, when I was growing up, my family, we weren't very clean people. Like, we just weren't very clean. I realized it because Carly's family is like way too clean. They, she vacuums every day. Who vacuums every day? You guys do? Yeah, you two. Yeah, weirdos. Yeah, the Jenny and Janet. They're both friends, too. Yeah, they're just conspiring over there. Vacuum every day, and it's so clean. It's a good thing because everything is clean and fresh, but my family was not like that. We're not like that. I would sweep, maybe, but I wouldn't vacuum. Um, I used to wash my face with the dial hand soap I know, all the girls just went, oh my god, the dial hand soap, and it wasn't even every day, it was like once a week. It was like the dial hand soap, I washed my face, and I was like, alright, I'm good, when it felt really greasy. Never even touched lotion, like moisturizer, it was just slap it on there, and then I'm going to bed. Um, I know, I know, but I got married. I got married. Praise God, I got married. Now, I use CeraVe moisturizer morning and night, hydrate with sunscreen in the, throughout the day. You guys need to wear sunscreen, because it causes skin cancer, the sun does but only vetted sunscreen, because now apparently sunscreen is bad for you. There's a whole lot going on these days. Um, Yeah, and then it it gets worse. It gets worse. I I played soccer. I played soccer growing up. And if you have played soccer, you know that soccer is a sweaty sport. You run around a lot. It's hot. Sometimes, and it's only sometimes, it's not all the time, so sometimes. I would get home and I was really tired, and I would do my homework, and I would eat dinner, and then I would go to bed, and I wouldn't shower. And I never washed my sheets either because I didn't know you should because my family didn't wash their sheets. So I didn't think anything of it until I got married. And now our sheets are washed every single week, which is a blessing. I don't even touch them. They're just clean all of a sudden. And Carly's done laundry. Um, marriage impacts you. And this reason is for the better. Carly, on the other hand, she, she used to be a little weird. She, uh, she would eat cereal without milk. I saw somebody do that today. There was two of you. Yeah, cereal without milk, it's weird. She used to do that, I mean, she still does, but she married me, she married me, and now, I mean, I'm not saying it was me, but I think she's pretty cool now. So, I'm not saying it's not me, but marriage changes you in ways that you don't really expect, so. Carly's pretty cool. I'm just kidding, she was always cool. You can talk to her about my fashion choices before we got married. Um, She's cooler than I am. On a different note, Science, uh, scientists have done a study that showed that your DNA when you're married is more similar than two random people. If they, I didn't say that very well. When you're married, um, your DNA is more similar than if someone had just grabbed you and you and compared your DNA. So, marriage literally changes your DNA, the substance of who you are, to become more like the person you're married to. Marriage impacts you. You have to be wise with who you choose to marry. When things get difficult, do you want someone hot next to you? Or some hunk of a dude? Or somebody who loves you that you know you can rely on who will support you in humility and Christ-like character? What's more important? Is it something that we're immediately rejected to? Or something that we learn after time? Your quality of marriage is largely dependent on the quality of the person that you marry. Dating as well. Dating isn't in the Bible. They didn't date. But it's an echo of marriage. It's kind of like a Little precursor of what marriage looks like. It impacts you. The people that you're closest to impact you. So we need to be wise with who you choose to marry. We see that with Job's wife. Everything else in his life is gone, but the devil left his wife. And I've seen comedians use it as a joke, like "Ooh, Job's wife." But there's real. There's something real there. The devil knew that he would tempt him. So we need to be wise with who we choose to marry. Second half of that verse is. Job's wife says, "'Curse God, and die.'" That is her counsel to Job. Now, I, I love... Bad hat here, just don't worry about it. I love this hat. And this will make sense, trust, trust me. I love this hat. I will always wear this hat. If I'm not wearing this hat, it's because I'm wearing a different hat so that this hat will last longer, so I can wear it for the rest of my life. I got it in 2018, in the new year of 2018, from 2017 into 2018 in uh, Myrtle Beach. I was with a couple of buddies of mine, uh, Hunter and Ben, with uh, Ben's parents, and I guilt-tripped Hunter and to buy me this hat because he didn't get me a Christmas present, so I said, you need to give me this hat, and he did. So, I wear it all the time. I love this hat. Um, Hunter, he, he was my buddy, Ben and I. I mentioned Ben, he was a tall guy. Hunter was also tall, which is weird, some of my friends were tall, but Hunter was also tall. He was really awkward. His dance moves were like really, really bad. Like his his best one was a lawnmower. You would like crank it and you do like little like wiggle. Like he was like walking the lawnmower and that was his best dance move. Um, so I respect it if some of you guys pull that out, but that was like top tier for Hunter. He had really bad puns too. It's like not funny. But my mom is also not very funny, and so they got along really well. And he would say puns and she'd be over there laughing in the corner. And they got along really well. He was really just. Awkward and gangly, like long legs and long arms. Hadn't really grown into his body yet. Um, he loved soccer. we play soccer all the time together. And a couple of months after uh, he got me this hat, he um, crawled out onto his roof where we used to play games all the time. And he shot himself. And he, he took his own life. And Hunter had... This should be a picture of him on screen. Hunter had community with me And my friend, Ben, we loved each other deeply. He had a family who loved him. He had a youth group who loved him. He had a youth pastor who loved him, a senior pastor who loved him. He had siblings who were really sarcastic, but they loved him too. And he didn't use his community. He didn't rely upon it. Now, I believe that he is in heaven. And I know that if he was here today, that he would say what he did was a mistake. I know he would say that, I know him very well. Suicide is never the solution, is on your outline. Suicide is never the solution. Job desires death. In chapter 3, the first of our 28 chapters we're going to go through, um, he longs for death to never have been born. He longs for the day of his birth to be cursed. He longs for the stars to be destroyed the day that he was born. This advice from his wife is sweet. It's honey to his ears. He longs for this. His wife counsels it. It has to have been appealing to him. Have ever, have any of you ever been there when you wish that you were not alive? I experienced it firsthand with Hunter. He took his own life. On February 22nd, around 3 a.m., he took his own life. He had a bunch of letters out from a father-son retreat, so I knew he wrestled with it, but ultimately he decided to listen to the lies of the enemy. I experienced it again with a friend who was wanting to, and they instead resorted to just cutting his arm to feel something. He didn't know what was going on, but I walked with him through that, and I'm not the reason why he's alive, but he was my friend and I loved him, I still do, and I know it's hard. It feels like there's no hope, like you wake up and there's no reason to be there. You're in a tunnel and there's no light at the end. There's a Cloudy day and no sun. and uh, My friend, he would explain it in so many different ways. You can't really explain it, but you know what it feels like when you're in it. And if you're a believer, I believe that the reason you feel like that is because the devil is weighing on you and wants to bury you. Thankfully, there is a light, a light of one who has already conquered death and conquered the enemy and is greater than the enemy. Suicide is a sin because it is destroying something that God has created, called to Him, and loves deeply and personally. God loves you. Suicide is a sin because you are taking you away from God. I do believe that you're in heaven if you commit this act. This is sin. It's wrong. Hunter ultimately listened to the lies of the devil. He did not bring those things he was going through to his community, to me, to people who loved him, and he suffered as a result i going to kind of change, pivot here to the bulk of what we're going to get through all these chapters we're going through. That was Job's wife. Now we're looking at Job's friends. Job's friends, they come from a long way away. They travel to sit with him, and Rachel mentioned it earlier. They sat with him for seven days and seven nights, didn't speak a word, sat down with him in the ashes as Job was mourning. This is good. This is what Job needs. But what we see over these chapters, Job is like 42 chapters long. And all of this is four or three through 20, not 20 um, 30 something is all this discourse, these conversations between Job and his friends. And it goes like one of the friends speaks, Job responds. One of the friends speaks, Job responds. The other friend speaks, Job responds throughout the entire um, book. So we're going to run through real quick, kind of walk through the, um, the flow of the conversation. First friend that we see is Eliphaz. I call Eliphaz the one who's just okay. He's not the worst, he's not the best. His first complaint to Job was that even the innocent suffer, you have to be patient, God will redeem you. Job responds requesting sympathy. He wants to be comforted by his friends. The next friend is Bildad, I call him the know it all. Bildad, he assumes that Job is guilty, and God's punishment is coming because Job is guilty. Job again responds with requesting sympathy, saying that he wants support. The last friend so far, I call him the rat. So far the rat. He's a hothead. He actually doesn't need to have any original arguments. He just kind of builds off of what Bildad says, but like says it more aggressively and more violent. Um, He dismisses Job's complaints immediately, accuses Job of sin, calls him to repent, and says that God will restore him if he does. Job responds, saying that their counsel is like an empty wadi. It's a stream bed where you go to a stream bed expecting to be refreshed by clean, fresh water. But it's an empty wadi. There's no water there. So he's gone there, but he receives nothing. sucks. The next one, next flow of conversation, Eliphaz starts off with saying that Job cannot see a sin that he's guilty. So now Eliphaz is starting to get more angry because Job isn't agreeing with him. Bildad, the know-it-all, says that suffering is caused because the wicked suffer. So Job must be wicked because he's suffering. And then Zophar, the rat, says that uh, wicked are to be punished and the fate of the wicked is suffering unless you repent. So again, you have to repent. God will restore you. You see a pattern here that they're arguing from human wisdom and Job Response to his art, their arguments, saying that he could request sympathy. Job's response to the second round is that he's frustrated. He's like, guys, I need your support. It's basically what he says over the course of like nine chapters. I need your support. I know God is in, God is sovereign, but I need your support. I want to be redeemed. All I need from you is your comfort. I don't need you to tell me why I'm wrong. Last round of conversation goes from Eliphaz, the just-okay friends. He goes hard at Job this time. He goes for the jugular and says that the wickedness must be great in you because your suffering is great. So now, Job, it's not that the innocent sufferer has to be patient. You have to be wicked because your suffering is great. So now, Eliphaz knows why Job is suffering. Bildad, the know-it-all, says that all are dirty before God. Uncleanliness is dealt with by suffering. So this happens to everybody. You have to repent. Job responds again. Affirming God's sovereignty and praises his control over everything. Seeks God but can't find God. He's confused. We see the pattern again. They attack him out of their worldly wisdom. Job responds. And then what Job does, after every response, he goes to the Lord. After he responds to his friends, he brings it to God and says, God, why am I not being redeemed? He's confused. Clearly, he's confused. Because Job, as we see earlier, he doesn't sin. God says it several times that Job does not sin. In anything that he says, he does not sin. So these friends don't know what they're talking about. That's 28 chapters of Job, is that, right there. You guys can applaud me, because we just went through 28 chapters of the Bible. Give me give me something for that. That was good. Thank you all. Thank you. Come on. Come on. No, come on, come on, come on. We're going to pivot another time. This is kind of closing out here. How can we learn from Job's friends to be good to those in suffering? We're talking about community tonight community and counsel, so we're going to look at how our community is important, but also how you can be good community to others. The first point is that you don't know the entire situation. You don't know the entire situation. Job's friends believed that he was suffering because of retribution. He was not. He was suffering because the devil wanted to make him suffer to prove that he would not continue to follow God. His friends didn't know what they were talking about, but because their life was okay, they assumed that Job had done something wrong. Their worldly wisdom did not serve them well. You may think that your friend, family member is in pain because of something that they've done. You may advise them, you may get rid of this thing, get rid of this person. Ultimately, you do not know what they are going through or why they are going through what they are going through. Just because your life isn't as bad as somebody, doesn't mean that what you are doing is right and what they are doing is wrong. We see that perfectly in Job. So don't pretend to know the entire situation. We need to practice humility is the point there. We need to have humility when we are around people who are suffering, when we're being community to people who are struggling. We have to have humility. These friends, Eliphaz, the just-okay friend, build out the know-it-all, and Zophar the rat, they are all acting out of pride, saying, I know you don't, you have to repent. Job is requesting suffering, and he's getting pounded by conviction that he doesn't need. It is not true by his friends. The next point is that good intentions don't equal faithful friendship. Job's friends had good intentions. They sat with him for seven days and seven nights. I would not do that for Ben. I love Ben. I would not sit with him for seven days and seven nights if he was going through something. I would be consistent with him, but I wouldn't do that. These friends, they have great intentions. They've traveled from long distances to spend time with him, but we have to be careful with how we treat people. We have to think it through, understand what they need in the moment when they're going through something, and learn, I think it's learn is the word, learn empathy is the point here. I've mentioned it a couple times now, but we need to learn empathy. We need to put ourselves in their shoes, see what they want from us, and comfort them with that if we believe that it's true and right. Job seeking sympathy and compassion is true and good. His friends, should have responded with that. Job requested it for chapters and chapters of discourse. He requests sympathy and comfort from his best friends, and he doesn't receive it. He gets, you are wicked, you are wretched, you need to repent. He's done nothing wrong. So we need to have empathy and understand how we can comfort people around us. The last point is to be careful with what you choose to share. Job's friends technically weren't wrong in what they said. There were some iffy like theological points about God, but they weren't wrong in what they said that the wicked suffer because everyone suffers and you need to repent because you do need to repent of your sins, but they were wrong because Job didn't do anything wrong. So we need to be careful with what we share with people. Job needed support and sympathy. He got criticism, condemnation, and isolation from his closest friends and his deepest community. His family's gone, his friends are all he has left, and he gets criticized for doing nothing wrong so we need to be careful all these kind of tie together having humility acting out of empathy and finally asking asking for wisdom from the one who ultimately provides wisdom we need to be wise to know what to say to people in suffering because we don't really know it's hard to know what to say if you don't know what to say we'll walk through in a second the last point here is to be a good friend to those who are struggling seek those out in pain or distant withdrawn, those who are quieter, those who are angry, those who are bitter, those who may hurt you. Those are the kind of people who we need to seek out arguably the most. How many times do we hear, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks? I hear it all the time when we're talking about things that are related to ourselves. But think about other people, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So if someone is being bitter and angry to you, their heart is bitter and angry. They're going through something difficult. We have to have empathy, humility, and wisdom to minister to people like that who are really going through it. And I know it's not really fair to ask. It's not fair to ask for you to get over your own pride, to love the person beside you, but that's what we're called to do because of this Word of God that we love so much and the Savior that died for us. We need to seek these people out, people who are wrong to us or who hurt us who betray our trust we need to seek these people out be a good friend to people who are struggling embody good community and counsel be what joe lacked from his friends be comfort and sympathy advise in line with god with what god advises when the time is right with wisdom in order to do that you have to know the word of god you have to know what's in the Bible. You have to spend time in the Word of God and able to advise in line with God advises. With what God advises? If you're just talking off the cuff, you don't know if you're accurate. You need to spend time in the Word of the Lord so you can advise people in the Word of the Lord and comfort people in the Word of the Lord. You mentioned Psalm 23. Um, I think Rachel read it off. I am not very good at memorizing scripture. I am really not good at it. And Psalm 23, I spent like an hour Like sitting down trying to memorize it, and it's like the only thing that I know, like clearly that I can recite, and it's so good. If you're looking for somewhere to start, start with Psalm 23. It's a beautiful, beautiful chapter about how God leads us and comforts us. Finally, you need to emulate the person of Jesus and what he does, and just be there for people. It's kind of the final point here, is if you don't know where to start with somebody who's suffering or in loss or in pain, just be there for them. They know what you're trying to say when you're just there for them. Unless they, like, really don't want you around and you're, like, nagging them, then don't. But just be there for them. Take something off of their plate. Do something for them that you know they would appreciate. Send them a text. If they don't respond, that's okay. Be there for them. And then flipping that around one more time, look for a community that is filled with values of humility, empathy, wisdom, and ultimately the person of Jesus. We talk about how our community... We have to be wise with choosing because the counsel we receive is often from our community. So be wise with the community that you choose. I pray that Clyde is that community for you. That your friends here, the people around you, would comfort you and advise you in the ways of God that are true and good and right. And will comfort you. That you would have people who you feel comfortable going with so that you don't end up like Hunter did. He knew he could have come to me. He knew he could have come to Ben. But he didn't. I don't ultimately know why. I have to wrestle with that. It's hard to wrestle with that. I know it's hard for him to go through that. He didn't want to tell his friend. So I know it was really hurtful. We talked about everything. These things are not easy things to walk through, but you guys do go through things in life. There are some of you in this room who are going through very difficult things in life. We have to talk about them to share the truth of this Word of God that we love so much to look to examples of people who have gone through it. Ultimately, we see in Job that he is redeemed to a greater extent at the end of the book. He gets through the suffering by relying ultimately on God and submitting himself to God's authority. See that in week five and in week six of the study. On the back of your guys' outline, there are some lines there. I want you guys to write names down of people that come to mind. I know there are people in your mind that you know are suffering, that are bitter to you, that have cut you off for some reason that you don't know, that you're struggling to understand where they're coming from. I know there are names that come to mind. Write them down. Pray for them. If that's all you can do, pray for them. Write them down on your prayer cards. You don't have to write your name down saying that they're your friends. Just write them down and we'll pray for them. We have people who are paid on staff here to pray full time. It's unbelievable. There's people in the room over there. There's four or five of them praying right now for you. Prayer works. Write the names down of people that are suffering on your prayer card, on your outline. On your outline, you pray for them. On your prayer cards, we'll pray for them. And I love you guys. I haven't known you for very long, but I love you guys. Some of you guys may be questionable. I'm just kidding. There's no nothing questionable with the love that our Savior has for people through us. What better group of people to minister to people who are broken than those who were broken and are made whole by our Savior Jesus? There is no one better to minister to people who are suffering. The Lord works through us. I'm closing out. out. The the, The Lord works through us. And what if your inability to get over being uncomfortable is inhibiting the Lord from working through you to comfort somebody who needs it? To comfort a Job? To comfort a hunter? If I'd have asked him something, maybe he would have talked. If I had gotten over an uncomfortable lull in a conversation and asked him, hey man, how are you really doing? Maybe he would have talked. I don't know. Let the Lord work through your life. I don't really know how to close out this message. I got lost a little bit there. I love you guys. And I hope that you know that you can talk to us, your small group leaders, and people around here in this group about things you're going through. I hope that you can be good community to people who are going through things prayer. Father, thank you for Job. Thank you so much for your living and breathing word that we get to learn from. Thank you that you call us the beloved of Christ, the beloved of you. We get to be your bride. We get to live intimately with you. Thank you for your victory over death. I pray that you would come for people here who feel lost and alone and broken and in darkness I pray that people here would see the light of your life and know that you have already conquered death. And the reason that they feel so down is because the devil has his hand on them and wants to weigh them down. I pray that you would move in their life, that their community would move in their life, that they would reach out to somebody, that people here would reach out to people who they know are struggling. We love you so much. We love you so much. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen.